So I want to begin today by asking you a question. I know I can't hear your answer, but how many of you watched some or part of the Olympics? What was your favorite sport to watch? Maybe it was table tennis, also known to us commoners as ping pong. There it was team volleyball, there's basketball, water polo, golf. Maybe it was one of the individual or team sports in track and field, badminton, which was crazy, archery, cycling, synchronized swimming, trampoline, which we have one of our church members who has a particular interest in that, baseball, equestrian, swimming, and other water sports. But of course, one of the biggest fan favorites is gymnastics. Now, if you watch the Olympics, the, the athletes, they're amazing. But what I've enjoyed in the past, I have to admit, I, I didn't watch very much of the Olympics this year because of the time difference. But what I enjoy when I do watch it are the stories behind the lives of the athletes. The stories about how an athlete overcame to get to the Olympics, the steps they had taken, the sacrifices they had made, the training, the expense, families moving in order to provide better opportunities for someone to even qualify for the Olympics. When I know the story, I gain a different perspective on the sport or on the competitor. And if I could figure out the time change, I, I watched the anticipation for that particular athlete, the moment that I wanted to catch, what I hoped would be a magical moment of victory. But no matter how much I watched or did not watch, no matter how much you watched or you didn't watch, I doubt very seriously that any of us, or maybe only a handful of us at most, watched a particular sport and woke up the next day and said, today is the day I begin to train for the 2024 Olympic event of sand volleyball. Because here's what I know. If I go to a sand volleyball court and I play for 15 minutes, my heart rate would max out especially when it's 900 degrees outside, I would realize that I have no skill and I have little to no chance to compete in that event or that skill. The inspiration of the moment does not lead to a lifelong change. In fact, the quick moment of inspiration might lead to confusion or desperation and most certainly to disappointment. But transformation, transformation is different Transformation leads us to a lifetime of change. And what we've been looking at over this summer is that transformation leads to a lifetime of change through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. Now, for almost three months, we've been walking through Scripture to learn, to grow, to apply the stories of redemption to our lives and to our individual relationship to God. Now, I know it's summer. There's a lot of sickness and other issues going on that may have kept you from attending with consistency or watching with consistency. So in case you've forgotten, this has been our battle cry for this summer. And it's more than simple inspiration, but transformation, leading us to this idea that redemption is a price is paid for the freedom of someone. Our scripture that has encompassed this truth all summer long has been from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. Redemption, the price paid, Jesus Christ. We saw that in Luke 23 and 24. For what? What was the price paid for? For the sinfulness of mankind, including me and you. How is this paid? Lavish grace, abundant grace given for us through the servant, Jesus Christ. And verse 9 and 10 remind us that this has been God's plan all along. Redemption. It's the plan. It's the purpose. But please hear me. It has not been my goal for the summer that you simply be inspired by redemption. Maybe even inspired to redemption that might lead to a moment of change or consideration. But my hope, my prayer is for you to respond to be transformed by the stories of redemption. Inspiration is short-lived. One bad day and we're out. One moment of discouragement, gone. But transformation is daily, lifelong response to redemption. I pray that the stories of redemption, they lead you to be thankful, which leads you to pursue the things of God, leading others to a transformational relationship with the redeeming God. Redemption leads to gratitude, leads to godliness, leads to actions, leads to others knowing the Redeemer. Those actions include, but also there's many others, but they include repentance, spiritual habits of prayer, of spending time with the Lord and His Word. Actions include relational changes, heart, soul, and mind adjustments, serving others. So as we pull together all of this summer, I want to do so by quickly highlighting a few powerful reminders from Scripture about redemption and a final call for you to accept and submit to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. This is a call today to not simply be inspired, but be transformed by Jesus Christ because of who He is and what He has done and continues to do for you and me. One of the most profound realizations about Jesus as the Redeemer is this. The Redeemer, Jesus Christ, has come and He understands our pain. Last week, as I shared, that the death of Jesus took place in the middle of a time in history where the system of the Jewish religious culture was based upon sacrifices for many moments in the life of a person, for a community, but especially related to their sin. The writer of the book of Hebrews of the Bible shares a great deal regarding how Jesus Christ became the final sacrifice for the sins of mankind. But Jesus is also called the great high priest in the same book. I love these powerful and profound words about Jesus from chapter 4 of Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
I love a, a little book that I've recently come upon by Dane Ortland regarding this passage. Uh, the book is entitled Gentle and Lowly. He discusses in this book something so beautiful regarding this passage. Jesus was not unapproachable on the earth with the pain and the temptations and the difficulties that we face. Sure, the temptations were packaged differently 2,000 years ago in many moments, but they're still rooted in pride, lust, deception, greed, envy, immorality. And our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, walked this earth, experienced the pain of brokenness, saw the impact of sin and sickness. He grieved with the weight of sin, and he grieved even at the death of a friend. Scripture says Jesus sympathizes with our pain. If I can be transparent with you this week online and later on in person, this week has just been insane. For me, and my guess is it's been insane for many of you watching. The struggles of this world are more divisive than ever in my lifetime. The questions I've been asked, I never imagined I would try to figure out how to juggle as a pastor. Knowing that every answer I would give brings agreement from some and disagreement from others. All the while, as I have been, as you've been, I've been checking on friends who have been sick, who are weary, who are tired. These verses from Hebrews weren't a part of my plan for preaching this week. They kept coming back around in my quiet time and, and through a podcast and even in a conversation with someone else. I needed the reminder that Jesus Christ came to the earth, walked in neighborhoods and sat down in homes. He, no doubt, as a young man would have watched family members in sickness pass away. He was led, Jesus, to righteous anger in the temple, yet he still presented hope to sinners and he rebuked the religious leaders. Jesus knew what it was to be thirsty, hungry, despised, rejected, scorned, shamed. He was embarrassed, abandoned, misunderstood, falsely accused, tortured, and killed. He knows what it means to be lonely. Yet he never sinned. I read verse 15, really the anchor of chapter 4, but let me expand and read verses 14 through 16, which give us even more hope and meaning. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 14 gives us definition to who Jesus is. He's fully God, stepped into humanity, into our world, but is now in heaven. Then one of our favorite words around Rich Fort begins verse 15, the word for. For because of who Jesus is, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I want you to read out loud or repeat the phrases to the screen or to the device that you're watching that are going to come up on the screen. Read these with me. One who in every respect has been tempted. Read that again about Jesus. 
one who in every respect has been tempted. Now know this, nothing was left out in temptation of Jesus. Jesus was tempted in ways and in magnitudes and depths that you and I have not been. But the other phrase for you to acknowledge and to announce, yet without sin. Jesus was yet without sin. Because we can stand on the truth that the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, has come and He understands our pain. He understands our struggles. He's not distant. He sympathizes us. But also this powerful verse gives us yet another reminder. He knows our temptation. He knows our sin. He understands our pain, yet He invites us to receive mercy and grace. We have a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and we can go to Him with confidence for forgiveness of our sins. We have a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and we can go to Him with confidence for forgiveness of our sins. Verse 16. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I don't know about your house growing up, but when I had done something wrong and I knew that my parents knew that I had done something wrong, maybe I had sinned against my parents, I had been deceptive, maybe that one time that I lied to them, Okay, that's not true either. Whatever the case of the situation, when we think of confessing, when we think of going to a parent or to an employee or to a boss and a family member of confessing, of acknowledging wrongdoing against someone on earth, we get nervous in telling them. We begin to think of a million ways to handle the situation. How can we handle this without confessing? Why? Because we can't imagine going to someone with confidence in the situation. Now, confidence in this passage depicts boldness, a a frankness, a, a freedom to lay it all on the line. But the only reason we can come to a holy God with transparency and honest is that Jesus Christ came. He took on human flesh. He experienced the weight of our temptation. Therefore, allowing us not to hide in fear and tremble in our sinfulness, but to go to God with confidence? I want to make sure you grasp this. Because this keeps many people away from asking for forgiveness from God and confessing. You have the gift to draw near to Jesus. Let me be clear, not because of anything that you have done, but because you have a Redeemer who's gone before you. You can approach a holy God with confidence, boldness, and honesty and seek grace and mercy, not with nervousness or fear, but with confidence that it will be abundantly given and poured out on you because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Confidence, grace, mercy through the Redeemer. 
One more quote from that book, Gentle and Lowly. Verse 15 is the opening, is opening us up to the heart of grace. Not only can Jesus alone pull us out of the hole of sin, he, he desires to climb in and bear our burdens with us. If I could, if you and I could, take our hands and place them on the chest of Jesus Christ, a risen Savior. And if our hands acted as stethoscopes, not to measure his physical heartbeat, but if we could hear the burden, what burdens him, what brings him joy, then our hands would feel affection, passion, pursuit, grace, a longing for you to come to him in confidence. Listen to a few other verses on confession with confidence in coming to Jesus. If you would, would you just read these as they appear on the screen? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 32, 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, my sin. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Acts 3, 19. Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repeat that one with me one more time. Repent then, confess then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We have a Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We can go to Him with confidence for the forgiveness of our sins. Have you? Have you come to a gracious, merciful God and said, I'm sorry, I've sinned. I know that you have given Jesus Christ as a payment for my sin. I come with confidence for forgiveness. Those of you watching, you know this. There are a host of messages and thoughts going around, even things about politics and opinions and various points of view, really aiming to divide us and stir up our emotions. But they're serious conversations. I know many of those decisions are costing jobs and relationships. And, but the message that I've been given to proclaim week in and week out, week in and week out, it never changes. And it is still transforming the everyday and the eternity of those who respond to it. And it's this. We have a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and we can go to Him with confidence for forgiveness of our sins. I know I've said this every week, but if you desire to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you can reach out to me uh, through our website or simply shoot me an email at michael at richfork.com. 
or today, you can even send us a text message to the number 94000. That's the number and just send the message redeemed. And that will come to us so that we can begin a conversation with you. But back in June, we began our series on redemption with a moment from Genesis, the first book of the Bible. So it's only fitting that today we would conclude our series with words from Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and the final chapter. Now, without digging deep into thoughts of the prophecies and the promises of Revelation, let me say this about Jesus, the Redeemer in Revelation. He is not a calm, easygoing Redeemer in Revelation. No, in fact, the opposite is true. Jesus Christ, upon His return, to make all things new as promised in chapter 21, to call His children to Himself, to bring redemption onto the earth and to all of creation. He is fierce, He is deliberate, and He cannot and will not be stopped. Yet here in the middle of all that John, the writer of Revelation, records, there are three distinct reminders of Jesus coming back. Chapter 22, verse 7, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12, chapter 22. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 20 of the same chapter. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Three times Jesus announces his own return. Now, when someone says, or you invite someone to come over, and they say, Yes, we're, we're coming over, and they say, They give you a positive, you schedule the date, you put it on your calendar, then that's the first time. Well, then the day before they text you and they say, hey, what could we bring to add to the meal? Maybe dessert. That's your second notice. But then you know for sure that they're coming, that early on the day of their arrival, they text you and say, can you send us, can you text us your address? Three times, they're coming over. Now, how odd would it be if they had given you all these notices? They knock on the front door. Not once, but two times or three times. You're asleep on the couch. The kids are on, in the yard. They're playing. The house is a disaster. Nothing being prepared for dinner. And you crack the door as if to implicate, what are you doing here? And you say, oh, you really meant you're coming over. Close the door. You panic. You scramble to get ready all the while leaving the guests at the door. Scripture, God's holy word, comes to a conclusion with a resounding reminder. Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, is coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Now what's interesting to me is where is he going to take us when he comes back? He's going to take them back to the tree of life. Now, if you haven't been with us all summer, 
Or maybe like a lot of folks, including myself, you may not remember that on June 13th, we studied and explored the sinful fall of mankind. You can go back and check that out later or pause, go watch it and come back. But in Genesis chapter three, if you want to dig deep into this, you can. But a quick review. Don't let me lose you. Genesis chapter three, God created the garden. It was perfect. There was no sin. Mankind was tempted by sin, told that they would be like God. They fell to sin. God disciplined them. The consequence came as promised, but God offered grace and discipline. I want to read this passage for you out of Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. Again, stay with me. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, here, guard the way to the tree of life. Here, that's the foundation of redemption. If mankind would have remained in the garden, they would have eaten from the tree of life and they would have and we would live on this planet for all eternity in sin, a shattered, broken planet full of sin, full of pain, never coming to an end. Sickness would go on forever. There would be no death. There would be no end. But God, redemption came in the form of discipline and grace. What did he do? Verse 23 says, He kept them from the tree of life with a mighty angel, with a flaming sword. It was protection and it was promise. It was discipline. It was grace. All wrapped into one moment. But when he returns, and he will come, he will come, he will come. And Revelation 21 tells us that when he does, what is he going to do? He's going to restore the earth to perfection. No more tears, no fear. No impact of sin, no sickness. He'll wipe it clean. He will rebuild this earth without sin. Jesus will conquer. He will restore. He will redeem. And then, stay with me. Those who have confessed, those who have surrendered and with confidence to the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, notice what will happen. When he comes. I love this. It shows us how God's word from Genesis to Revelation all fits together. Verse 14. Blessed are those, Jesus is returning. John records, blessed are those who wash their robes. Quick spot there. Those who have pursued with obedience, those have submitted to Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. So that they may enter the city by the gates. Wash their robes. Those who pursue, confess, obey the teaching of Jesus. Where will they be brought to? 
back to where it all began. Back to where redemption was birthed. Back to where it was birthed in discipline and grace to the tree of life. And this time there will be no cherubim, no angel there to prevent them from entering. But we will be welcomed to an eternal home. New heavens and a new earth. That's amazing. Or at least I think so. What's amazing is that a book written and compiled with multiple authors spanning thousands of years of times begin and ends with the moment of redemption coming back to the same place. More amazing is that in the final verses, there's another call for us to come to run to Jesus, the Redeemer. The Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is calling us. He is calling you to come. Verse 17 of Revelation 22 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. In this verse, what is the Spirit? The Spirit is capitalized, which means the Holy Spirit. So what we have here, without going into a whole another realm of teaching, is the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, are all encompassed here, making sure we know He is coming and He's reminding us once again, you are invited to come. The Holy Spirit of God speaks through the bride and then the bride again, another church word and revelation word, uh, New Testament word. The bride is the church. It's those who've been redeemed, those who have with confidence come to forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And we are given the voice to say, to announce, to proclaim to all who are thirsty, all who are weary, all who are shackled by sin, Come to the water of life. Be restored. Be redeemed. Your Redeemer is calling you to come. And we, the church, the forgiven followers of Jesus, who have come with confidence through the grace of God, invite you to join us. Come with confidence to the Redeemer. Come with confidence to the Restorer. Come and have your spiritual thirst quenched. Come. The challenge for today is this. If you've never trusted in Christ, He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. And He desires for you to spend eternity with Him. This message is not simply given today to inspire you or to simply be amazed, but to respond to be transformed by His kindness, His mercy, and His grace. Will you come? Will you step into a relationship with Him today? Again, you can respond by using the word and the number that are given to you right now, redeemed to the number 94000. And one of us would love to reach out to you to begin this relationship. He's calling you to come.
Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are still calling us as the church to speak of your coming, to speak of you as Redeemer. Help those who have yet to step into relationship with you, who are watching online that that we've never met, that we've never talked, but you are calling them to come. Your voice, your spirit is speaking to them, drawing them to you. May they approach you with confidence and grace and mercy. In Jesus' name. I know many of you who have watched already have a transformational relationship to Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for that truth of God's grace upon you. But with that surrender to Jesus comes the need to invite others to come, those who are thirsty, those who have tried to have their souls quenched by other sources or substances or relationships or distractions. But we need to live in such a way that they can watch our lives They can hear our voice speak of the Redeemer and we can invite them to come. For many of you, I want to remind you, you are the church. Not a building, but a people. You live in a fallen, evil world. You have the hope, the truth. You are called. You are commissioned to go to proclaim the Redeemer. Who do you love that needs to hear? to see the message of the truth of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. Thank you so much for joining us for these 11 weeks as we've explored Jesus, the Redeemer, and the stories of redemption from God's Word from Genesis to Revelation.